0: Hebrews seven seventeen through 28. For it is witness of him, you are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Don't say it like that. For on the one hand, a former commandment is set aside because of its weakness and uselessness. For the law made nothing perfect. But on the other hand, a better hope is introduced, through which we draw near to God. Verse 20. And it was not without an oath. because he continues forever. Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him. Come on. Since he always lives to make intercession for them. For it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. Verse 27. He has no need like those high priests to offer sacrifices daily, first for his own sins and then for those of the people, since he did this once for all when he offered up himself. Come on. For the law appoints men in their weakness as high priests, but the word of the oath, which came later than the law, appoints a son who has been made perfect forever. This is God's word. Amen. Thank you, Pastor Christopher. Good morning, Movement
1: Church. Wow, I appreciate the support there. I think I'm going to ask Pastor Christopher to continue to have me up here. Rarely do I get a hand clap on a Sunday morning. So thank you for that. I mentioned my name is Michael, one of the pastors here. And you know, it's interesting. Anytime you get a group of men together, you always want to pick out their strengths to make them what's unique about them. But when it comes to the group of pastors, it's not what our different strengths that makes us unique. It's what we have in common that makes us special. And I think it's a couple things It makes us special. Number one, we are loved by Christ. Loved by Christ. Number two, God has given us some gifts to use that to express our zeal and our love for the gospel. So I'm thankful for those men, and I'm just, I'm blessed to be here this morning. So here we are. I'm actually feeling fresh this morning with an extra hour of sleep. How about a hand clap for the Lord? hand clap for the Lord. Thank you, Jesus, for rest. I'm feeling really good. You know, I tried to set my alarm for 5.30. It didn't matter. My body woke up at 4.30 anyway. Um, so, but I'm fresh this morning. I'm feeling really good. As we head into November, here we are now. November, brethren. We're in November. We're heading towards the end of the year. I know often we look forward to some of the holidays, right? Thanksgiving, Christmas. And so we're all looking forward to Christmas and Thanksgiving. And so how do we prepare our hearts as we enter into these joyous seasons? How do we prepare our hearts as we head into these joyous seasons? Typically, in December, we're going through what, the Advent series, right? We learn about the birth, the coming Messiah. That is something that we love to hear. Often though, in November, it's like, okay, what do we what do we talk about? So we are blessed that God has given us some truth that we're going to be learning from today. So we have a three-part series coming up. Okay, so three-part series. It's called The Coming Christ. We're going to learn about the three offices of Christ, prophet, king, priest. Prophet, king, priest. And so these three offices of Christ are necessary for us. So there is the knowledge. There's things of God that apart from Christ we wouldn't understand. That's where he steps in as prophet, teacher. Then there is our salvation, necessary for our salvation. We are sheep who have gone astray. We are people who have rebelled against God. And so we need the high priest who meets that need for us. And then lastly, the spiritual discipline. It is impossible for us to rule over ourselves. We like to think that we're the boss, but no. There is something that is mastering us. Thank God that we serve a loving master, our King, Jesus. So that is the three-part series that's coming up. I'm excited about it. Hopefully you are. And with these truths that we're going to be learning, okay, it's not just hearing of it. It is really about knowing more about who Jesus is. That's what we're diving into the offices of Christ, knowing more about who he is. And in response, really, what's the response around that, right? What is the response in knowing these different things as we know Jesus more? Is it just go, cool, okay, now let's head into the baby Jesus thing. No, let's, let, let this soak into our hearts about the truth about Christ. Let's get to know our master more, loving king. All right, so the tension question. Most folks know I'm a maverick, but I have to stay in line with our, how we preach here at the movement. So we have the tension question. Thank you. The tension question. In every life circumstance, what is an appropriate response to a Jesus, as Jesus is my high priest? What is the appropriate response as Jesus is my high priest? And let's be real. Pain and suffering are very much a part of our daily lives, just as much joy as joy is, right? We're looking forward to the joyous holiday season, but at the same time, suffering and pain is very much a part of our lives. So how is Jesus, as high priest, how is that, how am I supposed to be, have an appropriate response in the midst of my current circumstances, whether I'm in joy or whether I'm in pain and suffering? So that is the tension question for today. But before we can actually understand Jesus as priest, let's first find out the definition of a priest. Then we're going to go back into Leviticus and find out the job of the priest in the Old Testament. So that's what we're going to set up first. All right, let's go with the definition of a high priest. A high priest is a man with authority to perform certain practices and administer certain sacraments on behalf of God's people. So really, the priest had two jobs. He was one, to intercede on behalf of the people before God, So he was to be a mediator, and he was preparing sacrifices on behalf of the people. So that's the definition of a priest. That's his job. So let's find out specifically in Leviticus what that is. If you're taking notes, here's the outline for you. We're going to learn about the imperfect sacrifice, the infinite sacrifice, and then the last sacrifice. All right, let's get into Leviticus, and I'm going to read it up here. This is going to be good. All right, verse 3, Leviticus. Thus shall Aaron come into the holy place with a young bullock for a sin offering and a ram for a burnt offering. He shall put on the linen, the holy linen coat, and he shall have the linen breeches upon his flesh. And he shall be girded with a linen girdle, and with a linen mitre shall be, he, he be attired. These are holy garments before he shall uh, shall he wash his flesh in water and so put them on verse 5 he shall take all the take to of the congregation of the children of israel two kids of the goats for a sin offering and one ram for a burnt offering and aaron shall offer his bullock of the sin offering and which is for himself and make an atonement for himself and of his house and he shall take the two goats and present them before the lord of the goat out of the tabernacle of the congregation, verse eight, and Aaron shall cast upon lots upon the two goats: one lot for the Lord, the other lot for the scapegoat. Last couple of verses here: and Aaron shall bring the goat upon which the Lord's lot fell and offer him for a sin offering. But the goat on which the lot fell to be the scapegoat shall be presented alive before the Lord to make an atonement with him, and to let him go for a scapegoat into the wilderness. And Aaron shall bring the bullock of the sin offering, which is for himself, and shall make an atonement for himself and of his house, and shall kill the bullock of the sin offering, which is for himself. Man, this is a lot. You're probably like, what? Okay, which bullock? Which goat? What, what is it for? Right? I mean, I read it. I had to read it a few times. Don't worry. I do have a graph for you because it's near and dear to, Pastor AJ's heart and I'm about pleasing him. So we do have a chart for you. So the first outline, again, if you're taking notes, the imperfect sacrifice. And I want to get us to the chart here to simplify it for us. So you could see here on the on your left hand side, Aaron. Okay. So Aaron, before he could prepare the sacrifices on behalf of the people, he first himself needed to be cleansed of his sins. He needed to be clean. Okay? So we find that he needs to bathe himself. He needs to put on these these holy garments, okay? He, he put on capri pants before capri pants were cool, put a robe over him, a sash. Then he was going to take the young bull for himself, and he was going to present that as a sin offering, which is a cleansing offering. That is called purification. Then he was going to take the ram and use that as a burnt offering, and that is actually an atonement to turn God's wrath away. Then on behalf of the community of Israel, he was going to take the first goat, right? He was going to cast lots on these two goats. The first goat was going to be for the sin offering. We talked about that. That is the cleansing and actually going to be serving as God's wrath. And the second one is going to serve as the scapegoat. This is where the burden of Israel's sins was going to be on this goat, and they were going to send this goat away. So if, you're if we're sort of recapping everything here, First, there is the, the sin offering, which is the purification. So what we're, the, 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 the priest, the high priest is to do is he's going to take that blood of the animal. He's going to take it into the very center of the temple. And that is where the Ark of the Covenant is. That is where God's presence is. And only the high priest can enter there. Okay? And so he's going to take that blood and he's going to sprinkle it. And that is a sign of purification. God purifying the people of Israel. Then he is going to take the burnt offering, and that is to turn away God's wrath from the people. And then lastly, it is the scapegoat. There's this goat that he's going to put his burn on that goat, and they're going to send that goat away. And even in some, some translations, we see not only is he sending off to the wilderness, but it's actually the, this picture for the people that it is God removing the sins from the community, and it's actually going to hell. It's, going, it's removing it from the people. Now, the problem here, though, right, if you're listening to this with the Old Testament, it's like, can you imagine? Like, you're bringing this goat not only one time a year, but you're doing this every day. People are sinning daily. People are sinning daily. I, and guess what? The flesh hasn't changed. We still sin daily today. But here, I want us to sit for a moment in the burden in God's people that they were going to bring this perfect animal for a sacrifice, the blood representing life to be purified, it is to turn away God's wrath and in the scapegoat. So that is what God was doing there for them. He was accepting an animal sacrifice so he can make him his relationship right with the people. You know, when people were bringing animal sacrifices, we're going to sit here for a moment it was very clear to the people how serious sin is. Very clear. Because God was using an innocent victim in place of a sinner. That the innocent victim would die, the blood of an innocent victim would be shed in place of a sinner's blood. And it also is a huge picture of God's grace that even provided a substitute for the people. And so, let's go back for one more. Yeah, that, that's fine. That's fine. That's fine. So, go go. Let's go to the truth. Thank you for that, Pastor AJ. You're on it. S- sin is serious. Salvation was through an innocent victim. God's grace, offering a substitute. I know it is hard for us to really picture animal sacrifice. I mean, animals now, right? They're they're pets. We have them in our house, um, and which reminds me, one pet, our pet is here. Like we have Ed went home recently. Welcomed. A French bulldog, a Frenchie, six months old. Um, And it's interesting because when we brought on this puppy, I had to teach the young girls, the two younger ones, how we would train the puppy, okay? So it's like there's certain things they can't do, so that way when the puppy gets bigger, it's going to behave well. So stuff like, you know, when we get home, don't get too excited to see him because, you know, otherwise he's going to have this anxiety in him. So you have to ignore him when you get home. Or when they're sitting down playing with him, you know, he's gnawing on their hand. And they're like, oh, dad, it's so cute, though. Don't let him do that because once those baby teeth leave, he's going to have permanent teeth that's going to puncture your flesh. You know, so make sure you don't let him do that. you got to stop now. you got to stop now. Or, you know, look, he's chewing on our shoes. It's so cute. Yeah, He's not damaging it now, but soon enough he will. It's so cute that they think that, you know, it's like, but we had to actually start putting things in place to make sure that as he matures as a dog, it doesn't get worse for us. You see where I'm going here? We sometimes think the sins in our lives is cute. It starts small. Not a big deal. Not a big deal. Whether it's scrolling through my Explorer page. I stop at a video or a picture. Not a big deal. I Maybe it's my food. I'm just going to give it. Give it all out today. Not a big deal. I I owe myself a cheat day. (laughs) Cheat day became seven days out of the week. So the sin starts small. But here's the reality. Sin is serious. No one ever sins in isolation. Someone is always, other people are always affected by our sin, whether directly or indirectly. No one ever sins in isolation. And if you think you're by yourself, if anything else, we're grieving the Holy Spirit. Grieving the Holy Spirit who lives in us. Grieving the Holy Spirit. So no one ever sins out of isolation. And so what is our appropriate response? So here's my question for you. In what ways are our lives marked with repentance and worship? In what ways are our lives marked with repentance and worship. You see, as for us as believers, our lives should be one of a rhythm where we're recognizing how serious sin is in our lives. No one here is perfect. There's only one who lived a perfect life, and we'll get to that in a moment. So I know I'm looking at people here who are imperfect people because I'm looking in the mirror. We are all falling short of the glory of God And apart from Christ, man, we are hopeless. So what ways are our lives marked with repentance and worship as we understand how serious sin is? We're able to confess our sins before God to one another. We can be forgiven through his son, Jesus Christ. And out of that grace, our hearts are overflowing with gratitude. Overflowing with gratitude. And therefore, the only appropriate response to that is worship. So how is God able to forgive us through his son, Jesus Christ? And That's what we're going to get to next. So the second division here, the infinite sacrifice. As I mentioned, just a reminder, right? We are a people who have gone astray. We are ones who have rebelled against God apart from Christ our destination was hell. Apart from Christ, our destination was hell. But God. But God. God had a better plan. He knew that Michael, there was not enough animals that Michael could bring throughout his life to pay for the sins that he was committing, that he planned on committing. That was, I was going to fall short. There was not enough that I could, not enough animals I could bring to pay for my debt. So God wanted to do something for us. He wanted to fill that gap for us. He sent his son, his only son, to die on the cross for your sins and for my sins so that it could be done forever. People always ask, how could the death of one man pay for the sins of the world? How could the death of one man pay for the sins of the entire world? That's because Jesus living a perfect life One who has been raised from the dead. His death on the cross was one of infinite value. His death on the cross was one of infinite value. Therefore, it was enough to pay for the debts of mankind. Debts of the world. Let's jump right into this here. We read this in Hebrews. We see here that in verse 17, Jesus, you are a high priest forever. We read on to verse 19. The law made nothing perfect, but introduced a better hope. So we talk about the law here. If you look back in the Old Testament, it's just not the Ten Commandments that we are familiar with. If you read the Old Testament, there's actually over 600 laws, over 600 laws, and you can understand now the burden that Israel felt—that as they broke those laws, they were bringing forth their animals to be sacrificed. So this is heaven-heavy burden on the people, and so the the laws weren't there for us to just follow perfectly because we could see that's impossible. The law's purpose, true purpose, is actually to serve as a mirror for us. As we look at the laws, we go, I don't stack up. I don't stack up. I need a savior. I need something to step in the gap. I need somebody to do something for me so that I can stack up. Otherwise, it's hopeless. This is what God's standards are. I don't mean it on my own. It's too heavy of a burden. And so why God sent his son to fill that gap. And we read on here to verse 21. Priest with an oath. He's a priest forever. He lives on. Jesus is the guarantor of a better covenant. Death prevented previous priests, right? Like, you know, why can not the priests continue on in their office? It's because they died. So one, one priest died, the next priest came in. And actually, if you read even historically, did you know that there was not even a chair in the temple? Because the priest didn't have time to sit down. Their jobs were never finished. It was something that they always had to do over and over and over. People had kept bringing their, their animal sacrifices over and over and over. And while they were bringing those sacrifices, you know what was the problem? Not only did they keep doing it over and over, but their guilt remained. Their guilt remained. They could see the illustrations. They were waiting on the one that God had promised. One who would die in their place and would take away the sins of the world and remove the guilt from us, would purify us, cleanse us of his blood. So this was the anticipation of the coming Christ. And we know that Jesus now holds the priesthood forever. So let's move on here to the truth, the second truth. Jesus alone is a sufficient mediator between God and man. He is a sufficient mediator between God and man. We know that also that in 1 Peter 3, 20 through two, excuse me, 3.22, that Jesus now is interceding for us in heaven, that he was raised from the dead for us, for our benefit. And when I say that Jesus is interceding for us, that Jesus is the mediator, What I mean by that is, Jesus, as we pray before God, oftentimes, even the Apostle Paul confessed this, we don't have the right words. We don't have the right words. But Jesus is able to interpret those words for us, align it with God's will. That's what it means that Jesus is always interceding on our behalf. All we have to do is pour our hearts out. Pour our hearts out. I love it. A little bit of a word here for us. Anyone heard of this word parakletos before? This is the Greek language, in the Greek language, to actually describe Jesus' office as mediator. It's the word parakletos. Now, this word is is pregnant. I I won't cover everything, but there's a couple of things that Jesus has for us today that we really want to focus on. So when you translate it to the English language, it's often translated as comforter. Often translated as comforter, but it's also known as counselor, companion, helper, advocate. Some of these words are familiar to us because we know that as Jesus was ascending into heaven, before he was heading into heaven, he said, I'm going to send you, I'm going to give you another advocate, the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit of God. So as Jesus ascended into heaven, those who put their faith in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior now have the Holy Spirit living inside of them. So paracletos. We're going to get to that in just a moment, but really here just, also in the English, actually in the English language, paraclete. The word paraclete, and it's actually more known in the Jewish community, okay? Paraclete is a lawyer, it's an advocate, one who is on behalf of those who are called. So the paraclete here is, so the picture that I really want us to get here when we see the word paracletos is when we're praying before God, we're tapping into a heavenly law firm. We're tapping into a heavy law firm. The Holy Spirit is giving us the boldness to come before his throne, and it is Christ who is interpreting our prayers for us, always interceding in our behalf, always interceding in our behalf. Hebrews 4 tells us that we have a high priest who understands our weaknesses, who has been tempted in every way, yet did not sin. Jesus is our comforter. We know that in, in 2 Corinthians 1, 3, that it tells us that God is the God of all comfort. God is the God of, of all comfort. So we have a God in the midst of pain and suffering who sees us, who sees what we're going through. He understands us. And when I'm thinking about comfort, thinking about healing, and rest, and I can tell you right now in... And Yeb went home when my kids aren't feeling well. Not now. They're all feeling good, okay? (laughs) When they're not feeling well, they're sick, they have two parents to choose from. Who do you think they go to? They go to mom. Mom understands their pain. They want to come in for a hug. You know, they want encouragement. They're going to come to dad. But dad doesn't know the measure out the medicine. He doesn't know. You know, they're like. First person they're going to go to, mom, I'm not feeling well. And her response is like, you know, you have another parent, right? But they know who to go to. They appreciate snuggling in on mom. That hug, that comfort. I want to tell you right now, you are loved. God sees you. And Jesus is always standing there with his arms wide open. Desiring for that intimate relationship with you to give you rest, to give you healing. I gotta tell you, I'm in my mid 30s, and okay, you know that I'm lying, but I had to. Okay, I'm a little bit older than my mid 30s, but even at my age, even at my age, I am one who needs God. And I need, there's just days, there's weeks. Where I am, I need healing. I need rest. And I want to go to the Lord. I want him to renew my spirit, to to give me peace, to give me rest, that only he can satisfy in me. Because he knows me. He knows my pain. And so the question here for us, when experiencing pain and suffering, what is our default to seek comfort? What is our default? Things aren't going well right now. I'm just gonna veg out on Netflix and get my mind off something else. I need to eat my way out of this. You can see what my you can see where my sins are. I need to eat my way out of this. I need to shop my way out of this. I need to drink my way out of this. I need to get in that relationship so to fill that gap in my heart. It's my default. Brothers and sisters, if you put your faith in Jesus Christ, you have the Holy Spirit of God living inside of you. We have this open relationship with the God of all comfort. Would we go to Him? Would that be our default? Because He is always desiring that. He's always desiring that for us to have this intimate relationship with Him. Let's get into the last thing here the last sacrifice the last sacrifice, so we read in verse 26. I don't think I have it up there. Verse 26, high priest, who's holy, innocent, unstained, separated from the sinners, exalted above the heavens. We see that he did it once and for all in verse 27, and it's an oath, it's a promise that the Son is made perfect forever. So it is this infinite sacrifice where God takes Jesus' sacrifice and he actually then declares the sinner righteous. He declares the sinner righteous. He accepts Jesus' sacrifice on the cross on your behalf and on mine and declares us righteous. How is Jesus different from the Old Testament priest? How is he different from any other priest? Well, we know that he's one who lives forever, but we, here's what's different about him. Not only is he one interceding on our behalf even today, but he himself was the perfect sacrifice. He himself was a perfect sacrifice, so you and I didn't have to bring any more sacrifices. It's been paid. The debt's been paid. So no matter what sins we've committed in the past, the sins we are currently experiencing and grieving the Spirit with, or anything that we're afraid that we're going to continue to commit, it's been all paid. Paid. Done. My heart is overflowing with joy. That as God looks down on me, there's nothing more that I can do to make him more proud of anything that I'm doing. Nothing less that I can do that he could, you know, he could shun me. He loves me. He loves me because I am covered. I am hidden in Christ. You are hidden in Christ. You are covered with his blood. Let's go with the truth here, the last truth that we have. Christ's work alone is where God declares a sinner righteous. God gave it all. God gave it all. He gave us everything. I mean, here I'm thinking, God, you have access to every single resource, and yet you're going to give your most prized, prized son for the world. He gave it all. Not only did he give his only son, but Jesus willingly went to the cross on our behalf. So it got me thinking, why would someone give something of great value for something? That means that something has value. Why would someone give something of great value, the greatest value, in exchange for something, to purchase something? It's because that something, you and I, have value. We have value to God, and we have a purpose. Ladies and gentlemen, you are valued by the sovereign Lord, not only because he's paid for our lives, but there's a purpose for our lives. There's a purpose for our lives. You know, earlier on I mentioned pain and suffering. Who here enjoys pain and suffering? Raise your hand if you enjoy pain and suffering. I know some of you do. Here's an example, right? Like, you'll go to the gym, experience pain and suffering, put your body through heck with the purpose of your physical benefit, right? It's like, okay, I'm going to put my body through that with the purpose of a, of a physical benefit. But I, I'm going to be candid. When I'm thinking about pain and suffering, the first thing that comes to my mind is pregnancy, Men, we are strong. But women, you guys got a superpower. Got a superpower. Even women who've not given birth, I would just say women have a superpower. They go this extra, there's this extra strength, man. And so it reminds me of my wife. She was giving birth to our third daughter, Ava, and we've been waiting on her. My wife has been, you know, she's been pregnant with her for nine months time came. She's been laboring now for a couple hours. Here we are in the hospital. We're excited to see Ava, you know. And we're in the hospital and I remember my wife's on the bed. I'm standing next to her and the, uh, the nurse who was helping looks down and she says, oh. And we go, what's wrong? And she goes, well, her head is down, but she also has her fist near her head. And I remember my wife's response. Her response, she looked, um, dead serious. She looks at the lady and she goes, what do you want me to do? And I thought to myself, what? Because if that was me, I would have been like, cut her hand off or something. Make it easier for me. What do you want me to do? But my wife was focused on going through the pain and suffering. Here's the point. She was, going, she was focused on going through the pain and suffering. Because she knew at the end of it there was a purpose. She was going to see the fruits of her labor. She was going to see the fruits of her labor. We are going through the pain and suffering. Let me be, be clear. When we go through pain and suffering in the path of obedience to God's will. Pain and suffering in the path and obedience of God's will. There's a purpose for it. If you're going through pain and suffering apart from God's will, it's probably because it's a consequence of our sin right? But not every pain and suffering is because it's a consequence. God allows pain and suffering in our lives to work out his good purpose for our lives, to work out his good purpose. In some translations it says, for his good pleasure for our lives. So here's my question for you. How am I fulfilling the purpose for which Jesus has saved me? How am I fulfilling the purpose for which Jesus has saved me? I want to stop really quick, go back to that moment where my wife was giving birth. I talked about it, patiently waiting for Ava, right? Because you're probably looking at this question and you go, Michael, I understand I have one of value. I've been saved. I've been saved for a purpose. But it's hard for me to wait to understand what that purpose is. Hard for me to wait for that purpose. Like I don't know if I'm strong enough to do that. So let's go back to that really quick to the illustration. Once Ava was birth, healthy baby girl, she was given to her mother. One of the best things is and I experienced this four times. My wife would look over into me and she say, "Would you like to hold your daughter?" And I would say, "Heck yes!" I'd grab my daughter, and I'd I'd love it. Like I waited so long to experience this. But equally as joyful was my wife to be able to give me that moment. Equally as joyful for my wife to give me that moment. I, You probably would say, I have no right to tell her, babe. when is this baby going to pop out? Come on, can we have it already? Can I see the baby already? It's no fair. You've been with her for, what, like six months already. Can I, can I now have some intimate time with the baby? I like to have some bonding time with the baby. But yet... It's so easy for us to say, God, let me have it now. We want to rob him of gifting us the right timing. Gifting us that right timing. So we often look at, yes, good things come to those who wait, like it came to me. But let's not rob the one who is giving the blessing, giving the purpose, showing us the purpose for your life. Be patient. Wait on the Lord. He is worthy. He is one who is worth waiting for. So, the last thing here, I want to answer this question that we asked at the very beginning. In every life circumstance, what is an appropriate response to Jesus as my high priest? It is one where we take sin seriously. As Believers, our lives are marked by repentance and worship. Out of a heart of gratitude, we worship God. We also know that we have a high priest who understands us, that is desiring to come to him for rest and healing. And we know that we have been saved for a purpose. Saved for a purpose. I want to close with one word. Let's go back to the word comforter. Last thing here. Did you know that the word comforter has actually come out of two root words? Come, forte. Come, forte. Come, with, forte, strength. With strength. Jesus is our comforter who would desire us so we can come to him for healing and rest. But the Holy Spirit that lives inside of us. We come with strength. So when God calls us, God calls us to fulfill the purposes in our life. We can't say I can't. We have the spirit of God living inside of us. We have coming with strength. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Why don't we go ahead and